day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the J Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we continue another hour, the final hour of my week here. And what a week we had. I'm going to go through this lineup with you. It's one of my more impressive ones because of the producers that worked with us and were able to set us up and get us all these great guests. So this is our final hour of the week, and I am shutting it down. The bucket of Modelo's is being iced down, and I can't wait to celebrate the life of Cliff Branch, all the great memories I've had, the Raider fans have had with him as he got the call last night up in heaven that he will be a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We're excited about that. We've got a couple of good guests coming up, including Anthony Munoz. Great week to get him as a Cincinnati Bengal legend, the best player to ever play for that franchise with his team in the Super Bowl, and he's from L.A. And then my conversation with Stephen A. Smith, which was a big one. Stephen A. is a good friend. He was battling COVID really hard. He came out of it, and I talked to him the other night on my national show. I want everybody to hear it here. It's one of the best interviews we were able to pull off. And Mike Florio is going to join us coming up here in a few moments from Pro Football Talk. And Mike's been covering, I think, the stories of the NFL from what's happening with the lack of diversity with the coaching hires to the John Gruden email to what's happening with the Washington Commanders. All of that is a real big deal. But our special guest is here. I am thrilled to talk to the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders, Cliff Branch's best friend, Mark Davis joins us. Mark, thanks for doing this. What a great night last night. Thrilled that you would join us today. Hey, JT. How you doing, man? Couldn't be better. It was so great last night for Cliff and his family. Your best friend. Take me through your emotions of last night. Um, you know, it, it was something that was a long time coming. Um, I don't believe anybody's uh, more deserving to be in the Hall of Fame than Cliff Branch. Um, the things that he did on the football field were just extraordinary. Um, things he did off the field were extraordinary. And like I say, I don't think anybody's more deserving than Cliff Branch to be a Hall of Famer. Mark, can you share with us uh, some of the best parts of your relationship, your friendship, how far it goes back, and how he became your best friend? Well, you know, uh, shoot, I guess it was 72 when uh, Cliff came into the league, uh, was drafted, uh, out of Colorado. Um, from at that moment, we became friends. Um, I watched his career, uh, you know, all the way through. Uh, watched him develop as a wide receiver. Watched uh, Fred Volitnikoff help him with on-field uh, things. Watched Tom Flores as his position coach uh, develop him into a uh, uh, just a great wide receiver. Um, Cliff wasn't only just speed. He was also a technician. He could run routes. He could catch the ball with his hands. Um, just do everything it took. He had power and speed. But uh, we uh, became friends and uh, grew through the years. And uh, at one point, I uh, became his agent and negotiated with my father and uh, was kicked out of the house that year. And uh, Cliff came on. This was 1980, 79 and 80. And uh, Cliff, Cliff, uh, 
Cliff uh, ended up catching two touchdowns in the Super Bowl, and all of a sudden I was back in the family. Incredible story. Mark Davis, owner of the Raiders, joins us. What did you learn about your dad and Cliff during that negotiation? A lot of people haven't heard that story. Um, it was it was, actually it came out really well. What we ended up doing was uh, creating what was a, an, an annuity for Cliff at the time. Um, not many people were doing that. One of the reasons I became an agent for Cliff was that agents were just negotiating contracts and then they wouldn't talk to their clients again until they, the next time their contract was up. I saw the need to do financial planning and those types of things for guys. So I brought in a team of people, a very, very good friend of ours, Larry Delson, and uh, myself and a few other people, and created a, a, a thing called an annuity uh, with my dad. And it was actually my dad's idea to do it, uh, which is something that was paying Cliff throughout his, uh, after his career was over. He was still being paid on his contract up until the day that he died. And uh, it's something that, you know, I'm grateful that my dad came up with the concept. I'm grateful that we got it done. And, uh, you know, it helped Cliff through his life. Raiders owner Mark Davis joins us. What about your mom's relationship with Cliff, knowing that Cliff was your best friend? How has that evolved? Well, Cliff was her second son. And she absolutely loved him. He loved her. Um, they just they, they just got along great. You know, after uh, every game, every home game, uh, we would go out to dinner with my mom. This is after my dad passed. Uh, we'd go out to dinner with my mom uh, somewhere in Oakland, and Cliff would always be there at dinner. Uh, he'd be one of the people that would come. And uh, those were special nights with uh, Clem Daniels, my mom, George Atkinson, uh, and a couple of other people. Uh, Joe Morgan would come quite a few times, the baseball player. And uh, they just had a wonderful, wonderful relationship. You know, Mark, I was pretty emotional last night when I got the news because I thought of George Atkinson. And George brought me into the Raiders along with you and, you know, those shows I did with George on radio and TV. And George has been through a rough patch in his personal life, but he's done great with football. He's a legend, and I'm sure you talked to George. Can you talk about the relationship between George Atkinson and Cliff Branch? Oh, they had a wonderful relationship, and again, that that was, you know, back in starting in 72. I believe they were roommates at the time, and uh, George helped turn Cliff into what what it is to become a pro football player, and uh, their their relationship lasted all the way through Cliff's life and uh, still continues today, if I might say so. Um, George is just unbelievable. And those guys were just, they were just great to hang out with and just so much fun. Um, it's, it's a, it was a different world back then. Absolutely. Mark Davis is our guest. So, Mark, how did you handle the weight all these years with Cliff? And not so much the private conversations, but you working the back scenes at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, knowing people, Marcus Allen, Howie Long, the members of the Hall of Fame. Coach Flores and Charles Woodson went in in this past class, but what changed when you went back to the Hall of Fame and everybody knew it was long overdue for Cliff Branch? Well, you know, i got to give a lot of credit to uh, people like Mel Blunt, uh, Joe Green, uh, Kenny Easley, Marcus Allen, uh, God, just so many people that, again, more so guys that, than, than that played with him, but guys that played against him and continually uh, made, made, made the case for Cliff. And I think that's what it was really the thing to do was 
it wasn't really everybody that knew Cliff, but it was the people that had to cover him, the people that had to make game plans for him uh, to cover him. And eventually that, that broke through. And uh, I'm grateful, really grateful for Cliff's family, for the Raider Nation, and for the Raider organization that they finally recognized the greatness of Cliff Branch and how game-changing he was. Uh, and that's what I think makes for a Hall of Famer, is somebody that left a mark on the game that nobody else could have done. Mark, can you share with us what happened when Cliff's house burned down and how you stepped up and what those conversations were like? Because Cliff liked to go to autograph signings. He you know, had a lot of memorabilia of his own, and the fire was a big story, and he got out alive, and that's the big takeaway with his rings. <laughs> it, 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 I'm laughing, but it's, it's not funny. But Cliff's house was like a museum. Yeah. Um, you could not walk into his house without having to move through boxes and boxes and boxes of memorabilia that he had collected over the years. And he had the fire up there, and he woke up, and uh, they were calling for him to you know, evacuate his home, and he did, but the one thing that he wouldn't do is he would not leave his Super Bowl rings behind. So he ran back into the house, went through the safe, got his Super Bowl rings and drove out and got out alive. And uh, with all of the loss and everything, Cliff didn't lose his, his, uh, his happy-go-lucky attitude. You know, he, he understood that he lost everything, but it didn't, it didn't deter him. And two or three days later, they had the 10-1 uh, shooting down in uh, Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And Cliff came down, and instead of worrying about his problems, he went and helped uh, people in the community of Las Vegas, spoke with the, uh, the authorities, spoke with uh, uh, victims, and just, again, it was just what Cliff Branch was. He uh, always looking out for others. He'd give you the shirt off his back. And that's, that's some, sometimes that's a saying that's not true, but in Cliff's case, it always was. Raiders owner Mark Davis as we wrap it up. You know, Mark, we all have best friends in our life. You know, I have my best friend, best man at my wedding. Other people listening all have a best friend. And it was tough to watch you go through this. You lost your best friend, and you had big goals, and the team was moving and relocating, and fans couldn't go to the games uh, season one before the fans were allowed back. And you knew in the back of your mind that Cliff was going to be a big part of this, on the field with you, sitting next to you, in the owner's box, and how have you come to grips with this now? Because we're going to celebrate Cliff's life going forward. I can imagine what your emotions are going to be like as you go to Canton to present him. Well, you know, it's funny. A few people texted me last night and saying that they were with, they were they wish that Cliff was here to you know to witness this and be a part of this. And my only uh, answer is he was and is. Cliff is part of this right now. I think he's here with us. Um, he's up there with another team. He's up there with. With Al Davis, he's up there with John Madden. He's up there with Kenny Stabler. He's up there with uh, 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 Gene Upshaw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, he's joined another team, and it's a, joint, it's a team that he's joined that's forever. Um, he'll be a Hall of Famer forever. He'll, his memories will outlive any of ours, and uh, so deservedly so. And, uh, you know, I'll miss him, but I think about him every day, and I really do believe that he's here with us. Mark, we'll talk football and the new coach and the GM later on in another conversation, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about Coach Madden's event on Monday at the Coliseum for all our listeners in the Bay Area, how important that is for you, your family, and the Madden family, his celebration of life. 
Well, of course, you know, uh, Coach Madden was very, very special to the Raider, Raider organization, to the Raider Nation, um, and to me personally. He, he helped me quite a bit after my father passed away um, in, in all kinds of things and that I would consult with him on. Uh, he was so special. And, uh, you know, again, we're sorry that he's gone as well. Um, but he's here with us, too. And his, his, the things that he brought to my life will never go away. And so he'll never be forgotten with me. Thanks for doing this, Mark. I know you're busy, and it was important you to come on, and the listeners really appreciate it. Your passion for Cliff, your best friend, and that great night last night, and we're going to celebrate it here all weekend long in Los Angeles and for decades to come. Thanks for coming on. Hey, JT, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate you. You got it. There he is, the owner of the Raiders, Mark Davis. Great to get him, and uh, we were going to try to get him on today, and you can imagine how busy he is with all the events here at the Super Bowl, but pretty cool that Mark would come on, and we don't put Mark on the radio often because owners of the NFL, they come on when they need to come on to talk about important things, and there's nothing more important than Cliff Branch for Mark Davis. So for all Raider fans who care about the Shield and care about the Raiders and the history and care about everything, I hope you understand what Cliff Branch meant to Mark Davis and what Mark Davis means to Cliff Branch. His best friend passed away unexpectedly. He got the call about the induction last night, the induction out in Canton this summer, and I hope we can all go and play that interview that weekend heading into Canton, Ohio with Cliff and his family. Really appreciate Mark Davis, Will Kiss, Larry Delson, everybody for putting that interview together. It means a lot to me, and the biggest interview I've done here on Radio Row because of my friendship with Mark and what Cliff Branch meant to me. Brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence Hey, let's all watch the big game on Sunday with a Remy Martin cocktail in our hands. When we come back, Anthony Munoz will join us. I'm excited about that conversation, along with my conversation with Stephen A. Smith. If you want to get in and talk about Cliff before the end of the show, we'll have a couple more pockets for you to do that. 2 9200 Really appreciate that. It was a big moment. Big moment for Cliff Branch, and I know he was listening. I know he was listening. When we come back, we will wrap up our coverage from Radio Row. Quiet day today here on Radio Row, which is a good thing. But it's going to pick up the action in L.A. heading into the weekend. They're a group that, that's playing in the Super Bowl, so um, you got to respect that. You know, they got there for a reason. So um, we're going to just go out there, and, and I, I trust with the players we got um, against the players they got, and we're going to go out there and do what we got to do to try to find a way um, to win a game. Back to Radio Row at the Los Angeles Convention Center. It's JT, and you just heard Aaron Donald. I really like that player. You know, I'm not a Rams fan. And I'd like to see the Rams lose, but I have the Rams winning the Super Bowl 28-23, to winning and covering the spread. Thanks to Mark Davis, who joined us. Max Crosby just texted me, Mad Max, and he'd like to come on, so I told him in about 10 or 15 minutes we'll have Mad Max on as we're trying to go crazy. We were supposed to have Mike, uh, Mike Florio on a few moments ago, but with Mark Davis coming on, we had to bump him, so I'll apologize to Mike, and we'll get him on at another time. 
Joining me, one of my favorite players of all time, the great Anthony Munoz, longtime friend, L.A. legend. And, Anthony, thanks for doing this. As the Bengals, your team, are in the Super Bowl. How are you? JT, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's always good talking to you. It is so much fun. I tell you what, I've been to a lot of Super Bowl sites. I mean, I'm talking in the 30s consecutive yeah. and then took a break last year in Tampa because, you know, covid but it's good to be back on the string and have orange and black in the city, man. I tell you, it, our city, Cincinnati, is just like crazy, geeked up, bonkers, man. It's, it's been so much fun since the first game and really the last three, four weeks. It's just so much fun, and uh, what, a, what a fun team to watch the play. How do we go from two wins to four wins to the Super Bowl? What a job overall by the entire yeah. organization. What do you think was the key? You know what? People say that's difficult, and I say, well, you know, history in Cincinnati, we've done that. Six wins to 12 wins yeah, to Super Bowl good point. 16. Second, four wins to 12 wins, home field events, Super Bowl 23. It's a matter of putting the right pieces together with Jack Taylor and that they have, you can see you can see the three years that coming together through the draft, the culture changing, captains that they're drafting, free agents with playoff experience, leaders on their teams before they get to Cincinnati, and it doesn't hurt drafting a quarterback that came and got hurt, but as if as a rookie being a captain of a team, and then the rehabilitation and coming back and just uh, the player he's become, and then loading him with weapons. So I've seen it coming. In fact, you know it's funny because. I know a lot of people said four or five wins maybe this year, six wins max. And I, and I do the preseason games yeah. still. I went to three or four practices, and people are always asking me. I said, you know what? There's just something different about this team I've watched. Even in camp, I, say, I said, I'd be surprised if this team doesn't win ten games. And they're like, really? Are you nuts? What have you, what have you been So you thinking? weren't worried about Zach Taylor in no. those two losing seasons. No. That's an important point. No. You're one of the most important people in that organization, and you're not chirping. You're there behind it all saying he's the right guy. Because, you know, draft last year, six of the seven guys, six of the captains on their college team, a couple multiple-year captains. Great point. T. Higgins uh, would have been a captain, I heard, if he'd come back for a senior year. The free agents they were signing, Hendrickson and Hilton and Awuzie, these guys were players, and they were leaders on their teams. Uh, So, no, I was – and Zach made a couple – he brought some assistant coaches in. Let couple go, brought some other guys in. It was almost like he was trying to figure out the right chemistry with coaches in addition to players. And, you know, just watching them play during the season. Just like every team you have, Baltimore, they go there and just whip. Then they go to New York and they allow a quarterback I'd never heard of to throw for, you know, 500, 400, 500 yards. But then they always bounce back. And uh, so I think it was just a matter of those guys. And in camp, what I saw, I saw a group that was enthusiastic, they were loose. And they, you could tell they just were coming together and they enjoyed being around each other and enjoyed practicing with each other. Hall of Famer Anthony Munoz, I w- I've been dying to ask you about the adjustments on the offensive line after the nine sacks in Nashville, the first half in Kansas City. Something clicked in Kansas City yeah. in that locker room at halftime. Well, Not only did they stop Mahomes yeah. and the defense step up, but the protection for Joe Burrow and his ability to run yeah. outside the pocket. Anthony, I think he had three or four first downs with his legs yeah. in the second half of that game. I thought sealed Kansas City and the loss to yeah. them. You know, I think that's been the exciting thing about this football team is, you know, they've come back from you know, that game and, you know, Kansas City at home, yeah. the regular Great season. Game. It's like they go in at half, and it's like they just come out. As, it's almost like they, instead of a locker room, they go into a booth, you know, a, Good point. a yeah. telephone booth. And they come out, and the adjustments, 
adjustments are made all half, but to, that you know, and they just 80 yards in the AFC Championship game, the second half for Mahomes. I mean, come on, that whole first half, I'm saying, I'm sitting there to friends and family. I said, where's the pass rush? Where's the pass rush? Second half, they, they're all over them, and the, you know, they're dropping a lot more guys. So I just, I just think that uh, you know, it's just a matter of manning up. I mean, not only manning up and playing better, which I mean, you can't have a quarterback that's doing as well, even though he's the most sacked that you have a lot of success as an offensive line. So, you know, they've done it long enough. And then the strategy, I mean, the, the strategic part of it, how you slide, how you, you know, helping guys. And I think that's what it all boiled down to is they, you know, they make those adjustments and they see maybe this guy's struggling and we help him a little bit and let, let this guy on the island because he's doing all right. And those are all the adjustments you're making. Sounds like you're on the pregame again. Look at you as an analyst. <laughs> Anthony Munoz, before we get to his foundation, I want to talk SC for you for a second. I got a junior at Oklahoma, okay. and so now I got to be all in. I want to be. That's my son. I got two yeah. sons, a junior at Oklahoma and a freshman at ASU. So the last two years, three years, I've been going to Sooner games, and Lincoln Riley's on the sideline, and I'm like, this thing is dialed in. The yeah. offense from C.D. Lamb to the Heisman Trophy winners – and he's gone, and he comes running over to back, your side. Joe running Mixon, back, everybody. O-lineman, Brown. Everything. Yeah. You get him to SC. Real expectations now because of the portal, the transfer portal, name, image, and likeness, the power of the SC brand as you're behind the scenes. Yeah. How long is it going to take for Lincoln Riley to get it going? Well, hopefully not long. Yeah. So I was up in Canton, Ohio, teaching or coaching some potential guys for the NFL. And I... <clears throat> We had a watch party. I'll for, never forget Steelers, Bengals, Franco Harris and I were in the big room at the Hall of Fame. I go to the hotel. I'm having a bite to eat in a little restaurant there. My phone rings. And I look. Marcus Allen. Marcus says, Moon, do you know what just happened? I said, yeah, we just hired a, a new head coach. He goes, no. Do you know what just happened? And I'm like, well, you're getting me fired up. And he started just for... 20 minutes talking about Lincoln Riley and what he's done and what's going to happen. And I'm like, you got me more excited now than I was hearing. But, yeah, you know what? With with everything going so crazy, especially with the, the transfer portal. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, our quarterback's lead, he gets his quarterback. We get, I think we got enough wide receivers to, you know, to platoon four or five, you know, this, quarter, this quarterback, Caleb Williams, I saw him at a game last year. He right. six touchdowns. He's incredible. Yeah. Oh, so I he, instantly, he yeah. instantly now takes USC to the top. One more thing you just but mentioned. Can I just add yeah, one, go ahead, please. So die, you know, and all these. I need the guys up front. We know we need. We've yeah. just been talking about Joe being the guy. He's got to do what he this. Yeah, I mean, because that's been the most frustrating thing for me the last four or five years. Because we've, we've gotten the skill guys at SC. No doubt. Never did I ever think, first of all, that a running back would transfer and score the first touchdown for Nebraska last year. And never did I think that we'd be physically dominated up front. That's, that, to me, is that's the key. Last thing, the reason I'm here, other than interviewing legends like yourself, is tomorrow night Cliff Branch has an opportunity to get into the Hall of Fame. He's the only senior nominee. Yeah. He was one of my great friends. He means everything to the owner, Mark Davis, yeah. what he meant to Al Davis. I think he's waited way too long. There's a lot of receivers that got in before yeah. him. How important is this vote for guys who are no longer alive? Oh. You know, Stabler got in after he passed yeah. away. Coach Flores waited till he was 83. You got in at a younger age. Yeah. Other guys are getting in at a younger age. 
Cliff Branch, the type of player he was. Yeah. Just tell me a quick Cliff story. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I got one. I don't know if I can tell on there, but no. Um, so he's a Hall of Famer now. He wasn't a Hall of Famer, you know, five, six years oh, after. Oh, get me going. That's, that, that's kind of – we have a number four, 13, 14 that I played with, Kenny Anderson. Absolutely. You put his stats up against half a dozen Hall of Famers, lifetime stats. He's one or two when he retired. Never saw a, most, a more accurate guy. Cliff Branch, the same thing. I mean, the guy was amazing. Quick story. I'm in college at USC, and he's just happened to be in L.A., and we had a little pizza place across the street, and we're sitting there, and, you know, it wasn't me, and I found out – Cliff Branch, man, I'm thinking, I'm a big Art Shell fan, so I kind of went all over him about Art Shell, you know. And he's like, I'm Cliff Branch. I said, ah, you're good, man, but you play with the guy that you know. Upshaw uh, yeah, Shell, yeah, Art Shell, and uh, but no, was, I loved watching him run and catch the ball. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, Kenny Anderson, Kenny Riley, Cliff Branch. I mean, those are guys that you know, clearly, to me, again, Hall of Famer, 30 yeah. years after, not 10 years after, and and I hate to see, you know. He passed. You know, yeah. it just, it's a tough yeah, flaw in the yeah, Hall of Fame. It really is. Finally, uh, Greater Cincinnati, the Anthony Munoz Foundation. I know how much you pour into it. Give us the latest update. Well, it's doing great. We're going into our 21st year. Last wow. year we yeah. had probably our best year in, uh, in you know, the last five or six, maybe even more. Uh, you know, so that's a passion of mine, and I'm sure you got some notes. Not only am I fortunate enough and blessed to do stuff in you know, my community in Cincinnati, we come out here do stuff. We'll have 40 kids at USC later today. But, you know, at the Hall of Fame, we got the, you know, the Hall of Fame Village, you know, powered by Johnson Control and the Fatherhood Institute teaming together. And this summer we're having a fatherhood festival. Man, it's going to be fun because, you know, I grew up, I never met my dad, never had a dad. So to be a dad for 40 years now, to know that we can bring dads in that weekend to engage with their kids, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be fun. So fatherhoodfestival.com, you can see we're doing, Canton, Ohio, where football started, we're going to have a fatherhood festival. Every time you mention Canton, I think of Deacon Jones, the Ray Nitschke lunch. I'm oh fascinated by oh. that. I talked to Michael Irvin about it last yeah. night. I said, Michael, you're one of the new generations of Hall of Famers. You get it. Canton had a big impact on your life. You seem like you're going back all the time. Well, that's one of the passions that the guy shares, that come back every year. Even as you get younger and in, in, in our inductees, uh, Deacon Jones, love the guy. He, he's got the great thing, and that's what I share. I said, being a Hall of Famer, you never get traded, cut, or waived. We're on that team together forever. Of course, uh, you know, Ricky, the regret I have is I got to know Ray really well. He passed March, I believe it was March of 98. I got inducted August of 98. Oh. So to be at the Ray Nitschke luncheon, the best. Anthony Munoz, thanks so much JT, for your time. thanks, man. Appreciate Great it. Great seeing you. Always appreciate you. Anthony Munoz, kind enough to join us, and what a legend he is. He looks better than I've ever seen him look. Thanks to Anthony Munoz. Coming up next, Max Crosby will join us. He's in some type of luxury sedan going from promotion to promotion, but he said he'll check in. And then my conversation with Stephen A. Smith. Final half hour from Radio Row. We'll thank all of our partners who sent us here on the flagship of the Raiders. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. We uh, we met uh, before the draft. Um, I went to Miami, had a good visit with them, and uh, we had a great talk. So uh, once he got hired, he called me like 20 minutes after I found out. So he uh, 
he had nothing but positive things to say, and um, you know, I'm looking forward to get to work with him. Back to Radio Row at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Guess Bobby's playing all Rush today. Must be thinking I'm in the, a mood for Rush. All day today, Bobby. Nice job. Mad Max Crosby going to check in hopefully here in a little bit as we're waiting to take your calls before we wrap up our coverage here. If you want to get through on Cliff Branch or my conversation that we just had with Mark Davis, we appreciate it. But Mad Max Crosby joins us coming off the Pro Bowl and a defensive MVP at the Pro Bowl. Max, I know you've been busy on this whirlwind. Thanks for making some time for us. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we just had the owner on, and you know this because you're so embedded now with the Raiders and their history. Cliff Branch got the call and the nod last night for the Hall of Fame. That is a great historic moment in Raider history. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I, I got the opportunity to sit by, by Darren uh, Waller, and we were sitting there, and we are all fired up. You know, obviously any Raider that you know gets recognized, and obviously Richard Seymour as well. Um, it, was, it was incredible. So just being able to be a part of that was, was special for sure. Yeah, Max, so before we get into you and your play, I want to talk about the Raider history and what it meant to you when you came to this team because it's kind of overwhelming to see all the talk about the history and the Hall of Famers and the legends. Who did you connect with early on to kind of get up to speed on all this history? Yeah, you know, uh, I feel like everybody, you know, no matter what you what team you root for growing up, you know, you always hear about the Raiders and what they had going on and Al Davis and all those things, so... I, you know, I'm a big football fan in general. You know, since I was a child, so I've, I kind of already, you know, kind of had a, kind of had a um, head start on it. But when I first got here, you know, George Atkinson, he's in the building every day, so I get to, I get to talk to him, and he he shares stories from way back in the day. And you know, just our training staff with Cortez and Scotty and all those guys, they they were around, you know, for the last 30 years and things like that. So I just get to, you know, hear all the stories, and I'm always asking because. So, you know, every story gets a little bit crazy and crazier. So, um, yeah, you know, it's just a part of part of what Raider Nation is. You know, the history is, you know, like no other. No doubt Max Crosby joins us. You know, Max, we talked to Fred Bolitnikoff about his new friendship with Hunter Renfro. Those are receivers. And it's great because I always watch Howie Long on the NFL on Sunday on Fox and when the Raiders are playing well. And he, he, you can tell Terry Bradshaw's talking and then they're going around to Strahan and it gets to Howie and he mentions you. He says how great Mad Max is playing. That must be great to have Howie Long look to you and be able to talk about you on television on a big show. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. You know, Howie, uh, he always shoots me a text after game. Um, you know, awesome. Let me know how he, you know, how he thought I played or things like that. And regardless if it's, you know, you play great or he or Max, you need to work on this, on certain things, you know, it's nothing but positive. You know, that's the way I look at it. He's, he's a legend, um, somebody you look up to, somebody you want to be like. Um, and, yeah, there's nothing but good things I can, I can say about him. So, yeah, just having him, you know, in my corner and support me is, is incredible. Max Crosby joins us live from the Super Bowl from Radio Row. So, Max, this year there was a lot of drama off the field. There was a lot of controversy, but then you guys really focused. We both, you know, I interviewed Rich Passaccia, as you know, every week on TV. I thought Coach Passaccia did a great job. You mentioned that. You also mentioned other coaches like Rod Marinelli who are moving on. So emotionally there's a new GM a new head coach maybe a new and you know, there's a new defensive coordinator the scheme could change and be tweaked here a little bit how are you embracing the future right now with all these changes yeah you know uh you know it's unfortunate you know it just 
obviously you have certain relationships that with certain coaches um, that you really it's hard to you know replicate. You know, since day one, Coach Coach Rich was in my corner, um, and he helped me in so many different ways that you know I could go on for for days. But you know, Coach Marinelli is the same way. Uh, those two guys, I give a ton of credit for you know where where I've come as you know as a player, but also as a person. You know, they've helped me helped me countless times. So they're in, they're incredible. Um, obviously, you know, it's going to be tough, you know, having, not having them in the building, not being able to see them every day. But, you know, it's a part of the business um, at the end of the day, and things are always changing. So, you know, I'm, this is going to be my third D coordinator and my, going into my fourth year. And, you know, I'm going to have my third D line coach in four years. So, um, you know, it's just a part of it. Um, and it's tough, you know, because obviously, you know, <laughs> you, you have those relationships that, you know, you don't want to end, or you know, obviously with Rich and them, it won't end. But just not being able to be around them every day is going to be, you know, a little bit tough. Max Crosby, as we wrap it up. So, Max, finally, last question. I wanted to ask about how your life changed with your sobriety, how your career and life has exploded, and how you're helping others with the lessons you've learned from the past. And now, as you go forward with your life, yeah, you know, uh, it's an everyday process. You know, just my whole, you know, my my everyday is is a lot, you know, a lot different than it used to be. You know, I just focus on my 24 hours and um, how I can maximize it and be the best person I can be. Um, that's that's what comes first. So, you know, with sobriety, there's a great circle of people that have all gone through the same thing you've gone through um, in a in that in a certain way. So, um, just being able to connect with those people, um, having them around you, um, no matter how good or bad things are going, um, is incredible. So, yeah, you know, I have a my circle is incredible. All the people in my life um, help me out every single day and, um, you know, make make it a little bit easier for me. So, you know, I'm grateful and just, you know, happy to uh, keep going on this journey. You're the best. When I come to your house next, I want to see that MVP, that defensive MVP <laughs> award from the Pro Bowl, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Take care, Max. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate uh, you checking in with us. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. You got it. Max Crosby, what a player. What a year, and we just had him after our exclusive interview with the owner of the Raiders, Mark Davis. That's a pretty cool back-to-back in Raider Nation. The best player, arguably, and the owner. Coming up next, the biggest name in sports media, without a doubt, Stephen A. Smith joins us as we continue our coverage live from Radio Row, the Super Bowl, the Los Angeles Convention Center, right here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Why did the league enter into a common interest agreement with Dan Snyder regarding the Beth Wilkinson report? And did Dan Snyder try to block any of the findings uh, from that report being released? Yeah, that was um, something we responded to the committee, I think, last Friday and reaffirmed that, I think, is in the last 24 hours to let everyone know that uh, that's a legal agreement. I do not, I cannot explain all that. Um, our people will, but it did not interfere with anything that we did with respect to the Washington investigation and the outcome of the Washington investigation. Back to Radio Row at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Stephen A. Smith is the biggest talent in all of sports media. We are happy to have him here with us as I'm live from Radio Row in Los Angeles. And my friend, I'm happy you're getting healthy, you're feeling better. 
Many people were concerned for you. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate all your prayers and your well wishes, man, when um, I was down. But it's great to be back. I'm feeling a lot better, and I appreciate all of, all the of reaching out that you did, man. Thank you so much. You got it. Before we get on to sports, what did you learn about the battle, and what can you tell so many people on all your platforms that are listening as we're still in a pandemic? You know, it's, it's interesting that you asked that question. I got to tell you, first of all, um, obviously, I'm pro-vaccine because I'm vaccinated. I took the Pfizer vaccine and what have you. Uh, but I do understand there are people that, you know, that, that have their fears because of the inconsistencies uh, that we've received throughout. Um, scientists are human beings like anybody else, and nobody's flawless. However, what I would say to you is that I've never encountered uh, a medical professional that discouraged me from being vaccinated. Um, I never encountered a medical professional that didn't emphatically encourage me to wear a mask because what can happen to one person uh, may be entirely different than what happens to another. My sister, for example, smokes. Uh, She got the virus. She was fine in three or four days. My lady's got asthma. She was fine in three or four days. It almost killed me. And I'm not telling you how, you know, that happened based off of how I feel or felt rather, I'm telling you that based on what the doctors told me. I had double pneumonia, I had pneumonia in both lungs. I had uh, liver damage. Um, I was incredibly fatigued. I was struggling to breathe and what have you. And so, you know, I went through it and, you know, I also had an endoscopy where I had an inflamed esophagus right before I captured COVID. So that may have played a role. I don't know. I just know that the doctors told me that had I not been vaccinated, I might not be here. And so in light of that, you know, I would tell people to think about that, take it seriously, and understand that we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. There is indeed a virus that is circulated globally, um, and it can do you harm. Pay attention to that and then do what you think is best based on the advice of medical professionals you trust. Nicely said. Stephen A. joins us. I said the same thing when I got vaccinated, and I'm happy you're still saying that now because you have a big platform and people listen to what you had to say. And no scientist is perfect. No vaccine is perfect. But if it could save your life and give you an opportunity to still be here with us, that's a good thing. And people need to hear that message. And let's remember that we're Americans. At the end of the day, black, white, Latino, Asian-American, doesn't matter. You're living in the United States of America. Remember what we're about. We're about being considerate of our fellow man and woman. And when you wear a mask, you know, you help protect somebody else from what they may incur. It may not do the next person any harm, or it can do the next person severe harm. You don't know that. Neither do they. So as a result, let's just engage in a level of selflessness. Think about our fellow man and woman more than we think about ourselves from time to time. And that reminds us of what America is supposed to be about. Just look out for one another, and I think we'll be fine. I talked to you in the summer of George Floyd. You know how comfortable I am as a white guy behind a microphone talking about race. And I spent a lot of time talking about racial issues throughout my career. I am deeply troubled by what's going on with this Brian Flores lawsuit. Really am, because I couldn't believe all the different accusations, especially the one against Stephen Ross in Miami. Why would Brian Flores make it up? Why would he make that up? He has his whole career in front of him. He's in the Belichick tree. He's a winning coach in Miami. They don't like each other, the owner. Now we understand why. And then maybe the Giants with the sham interview after they knew 
Dying Dayball, you don't ever ask a human being to go on a sham interview. How have you been covering the story? Well, similar to what you just described and articulated, um, notice that you didn't mention the Denver Broncos as much, neither did I. And the reason for that is that I thought that was the weakest point of Brian Flores' class action lawsuit that he filed against the NFL and three teams, New York, Miami, and Denver. In the case of John Elway and one of his lieutenants getting to an interview late, appearing to be inebriated, stuff like that, um, you know what? That's plausible deniability on his part, which he came out and emphatically denied. Um, and that doesn't necessarily touch on race. If, for example, if there was any truth to it, who's to say that he would not have shown up late looking a little bit inebriated with a white individual that he was interviewing, if indeed he had a drinking problem, which is essentially what, you know, some people have tried to imply based on the allegations leveled against the Denver Broncos. So I didn't think that was a strong argument there. In the case of the New York Giants, the Bill Belichick, text messages where he mistakenly uh, text Brian Flores and he meant to text Brian Dable, the new head coach for the New York Giants, um, three days before the Flores interview was scheduled to take place. That's a clear violation of the Rooney rule that was implemented in 2003. It's clear circumvention. It's nothing new. We've seen it happen many, many occasions over the years, and it's incredibly alarming that with the Rooney Rule being implemented in 2003, where there were three black head coaches, here we are 19 years later, and there's actually taken steps in the wrong direction where there's only one African-American head coach in the National Football League in Mike Tomlin. And so I think that's clearly an egregious issue. It's clearly a problem. And I think the one thing I brought up on first take is that John Mara. Uh, part owner for the New York Giants, is on the diversity committee for the National Football League. How in the hell are you on the diversity committee in the National Football League and in the 100-year history plus history of the NFL with the New York Giants as an organization, you've never once hired a black coach. You're one of six teams that never hired a black coach, and you're on the diversity committee. I think that something like that should be looked at. The last but not least is Stephen Ross, and it doesn't get more egregious than what he's been accused of. If indeed Stephen Ross insisted to Brian Flores he wanted him to lose games, if indeed he offered him $100,000 for every game he lost, Stephen Ross must be removed as an owner in the National Football League immediately. Only if he's guilty. I'm not, I'm not trying to – I'm not being presumptuous and saying he is or isn't. That isn't my place. But if he's found to be guilty of these allegations that have been levied against him, there needs to be, uh, uh, or he needs to be removed as owner for the Miami Dolphins immediately and as an owner in the National Football League. I agree with you 100%. We're wrapping it up with Stephen A. Smith. What's going on with the Nets here? I mean, I watch the NBA. I watch you. I watch the coverage on all the different platforms with Shaq, Ernie, Kenny the Jet, and Charles, and I wonder who's playing every night. You know I'm live on the radio yeah. at night during the games. I don't know who's playing, yeah. when they're playing, how long it takes to come back from an injury that the legends of the game used to come back a lot earlier from. Look, Stephen A., when someone's injured and Kevin Durant's got a real injury, I'm not questioning that, but Harden, no Kyrie tonight. They're getting boat raced again. Durant watches you on social media. You talk about him on TV. What is the future of the Brooklyn Nets at this time? They're a mess, and we all know they're a mess. And they're a mess because um, you have a guy in Kyrie Irving who is a spectacular, spectacular box office caliber talent who thinks about himself and puts himself ahead of others. 
you have a superstar in Kevin Durant who's the face of a franchise who tolerates it because that's his boy. And you have a guy in James Harden that's saying, what the hell is going on? I didn't come here for all of this. Right. I came here, I thought we were trying to win a championship. So you got that dysfunction raking through the franchise. And remember, you have a coach, Steve Nash, who we all respect as a great, great human being who has not done an awful job coaching the Brooklyn Nets, but never coached anywhere in his life before he became coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And why was that allowed to happen? Because Kyrie Irving went on record and said, we don't really need a coach. And Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving signed off on Steve Nash getting the head coaching job, by the way, without them interviewing anybody else before they gave Steve Nash that job. So we have to pay attention to that as well. And what you have is a situation where these are superstar talents, um, but, the, you know, certainly not with Kevin Durant because he'll play every day. And, and James Harden, if healthy, will play all day every day on the basketball court now that he's out of Houston. But in the case of Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, they're there because of him. He's the ringleader in terms of people being in Brooklyn, and Brooklyn doesn't even get to see him play. So when you have something like that and you have a guy like Ben Simmons uh, that a lot of people believe is lying about a mental illness he just wants out of Philadelphia, et cetera, et cetera, when you consider the load management that Kawhi Leonard engaged in in the past, when you consider all of those things, even though it was instigated by Greg Popovich because he's the one that started all of that stuff when he was pulling guys off of nationally televised games. Remember that time, JT, yep. when he had Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, and Tony Parker? He pulled them from a nationally televised game in Miami, and everybody found out because they were at a line at Chick-fil-A in the airport in Orlando or get ready to board Southwest Airlines. That's what Greg Popovich did. So he's definitely the ringleader in that regard. But in the end, every owner that I've spoken to, and you know I've spoken to many, are utterly disgusted uh, by the level of nonchalance and lack of priority that these players, some of them, have, have initiated. It's not most, it's not all, but the few of them who have done it are star-caliber players, and they're going to remember this come next collective bargaining talks. You can bet the house on that because they're paying guys who don't prioritize playing. And that's when the line is crossed, and it's a point of no return. Continued good health, uh, great recovery. Thanks for doing this. I respect our friendship, but I really appreciate it even more. And there's a lot of people that count on you in sports media. So when you do get a break, take a much-needed beach vacation, and we'll talk to you and hope to see you real soon. Love you, my brother. Appreciate you as always, man. Thank you so much. Stephen A. Smith. That's how I wanted to wrap up our coverage on Radio Row. Uh, that guy was on death's door, and he fought through it hard, and now he's back, and he's the biggest name in media, highest-paid member in media right now, and we got him. And we had a hell of a lot of guests today, and great guests. Thanks to Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, Mad Max Crosby, who jumped in, Anthony Munoz, and our conversation with Stephen A. Smith. Bobby, fantastic. Memorable week for Bobby back in the studio, putting in the extra work, which he always does. I want to thank Q for an unbelievable experience here along with Jared. I want to also thank our entire team back at Lotus and all of our partners. And we'll recap everything on Monday when we're back from the Super Bowl. Q's on deck, then Vinny Bonsignor. Be good, everybody. A memorable week from Radio Row. We'll see you back on Monday. Have a great weekend and enjoy the big game.